My name is Anthony Capazzoli, and this is the Dismantled Life Podcast, where we share stories of hope, love, and strength from the darkness of addiction into the sunlight of sobriety. These are stories from people just like us who have lived through the pain and made it. No matter how bad it gets, just know that you can and will recover. It takes work. It takes hard work. Each week, we talk in detail about what it takes to make it, what it takes to beat your addictions. I am a recovering addict from alcohol, cocaine, and nicotine. My addiction started in eighth grade. I am now 50. I had over 40 years of very bad habits to break. I hit rock bottom hard. More than once, I nearly died. I would have left my wife and two young children behind. I've been clean and sober for nearly three years. I completely dismantled my entire life and rebuilt it from the ground up. I believe to make it in recovery, it takes a physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual approach. It takes a positive mindset. It takes hard work. It takes a village. Join me weekly to learn from my sober superhero guests on the Dismantle Life podcast. Subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Check me out at dismantle.life. Email me at anthony at dismantle.life anytime. Please be sure to leave a rating and review anywhere you listen to your podcasts. And let me know if you want to be on the show. Happy recovery. George Joseph, I'm really pleased to have you on the show. I'm excited to learn about the Positive Recovery Centers and a little bit yes. about your background. Um, and if I may, before we dive into yeah, the session, yeah. I would very much like to read um, about Positive Recovery Centers because I think that your overview is great. Yeah. We embrace those struggling with addiction and relapse using the science of happiness and evidence-based treatment to help you thrive and create a sober, meaningful life. With locations across Texas, we offer a full continuum of care from medical detox to sober living, all supported by an ever-growing alumni community network. Our evidence-based curriculum blends the best of the old with the new, all supporting our mission. The recovery is best pursued when meaningful, intentional, positive habits are formed through empowerment and resilience instead of negativity and shame. That is perfectly stated. I love that. Well said. Thank you very much. Of course, I read that directly from your <laughs> website. But uh, what I love about it, though, intentional and meaningful change it's, is a yeah. big deal. Uh, and I'm a big proponent in being in recovery myself about three years, yeah. alcohol, cocaine and nicotine. One of the things that saved my life is reconstructing my mindset around, I'm going to say positive vibes, but what I mean is like positive, intentional routines, positive, yeah. intentional inner thoughts. And I think that's such a huge component of recovering and sustaining recovery. There's a big difference then from maybe not drinking for a couple of weeks versus a sustained recovery. So I love what you, what you describe. Yeah. I think the old school of beating people down, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're already beaten, you know? So right. it's like, yeah, we know that alcoholics are stubborn and addicts are stubborn and we got to get through the denial. But once you crack that shell that's really like an eggshell it's really a mush right inside and we we need to be built up and so we've had people that have like oh you know too positive and you know you're not really dealing with reality no we're dealing with the reality of the disease but we want to break through that shell and get to the beautiful part inside and build with it yeah we got to get past the narcissism and the de defensiveness and yeah. the denial but underneath the soul of the person, if it's not filled, they don't stay in recovery. And that's, that's the right. beauty, beauty of the 12 steps. It's like, 
the spiritual part of it. You know, a lot of people are like, I don't want the spiritual part, but the spiritual part is one of the ingredients to help fill that soul. So you want to choose to stay sober on a daily basis, 24 hours a day, and you want to be a better citizen and you want to help others and you want to contribute to life. And so that's where I think the positive part of it helps to build us more secure foundation for sobriety. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think the higher power, and I agree, I've heard lots of 12 steppers say that at first they were um, nervous about, because they maybe they didn't have that kind of faith or they weren't religious yeah. or whatever that means to them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think some of the, 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 those in recovery have said, look, the higher power is defined by you. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't want to put words in that. This isn't a, yes. a, a religious kind of de- debate, but the point is you, the higher power can mean a lot of things. And, and yeah. it's, People need to use what works. I had 40 years of bad habits. I started drinking in eighth grade. Yeah. Um, so that's a lifetime of horrible, tragically poorly built habits. And yes. to undo that, it's the, you know, the first step is one thing, but the continued steps is something else. I had to re- retrain myself, if, yeah. if that's the way to say it, yeah. with new habits. And in order to do that, it there has to be a positive give there. It can't be the shameful beatdown. I did that to myself. You've said it perfectly for years, my, my whole life. And then I, I just had enough. I nearly died and I was in the hospital and I recovered from that. Uh, meaning I got out of the hospital. I didn't die. The doctors were shocked by that. I was shocked by that and I made it in, yeah. but I, in order to do that, I had to build positive, healthy routines and not just don't drink, but be active think positive thoughts, energize myself through positive routines, as I'd mentioned, but in, I think there's a mental, a physical, a spiritual, and an emotional component to recovery. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. me speaking, not, not Mr. Joseph here on terms yeah. of positive recovery, but yeah. the, and I think that what you're, what you describe is great because we're yeah. all stubborn, narcissistic. We know better and we'll be defiant no matter what happens just to be defiant. You say black, I'll say white. I don't even give a shit, you know? Like, <laughs> exactly it's crazy uh, it's happy joyous and free so we're we're working toward that and if you if you're that stubbornness doesn't get moved over you you could be dry you know i mean i've seen a lot of people in recovery dry unhappy that they're not drinking they almost need to drink to loosen up but if they move the needle and get to the positive side of it and and fill their soul and feel be fulfilled and help others then their best example of recovery. I mean, you know, I wish in this world there's millions of us in recovery, right? And if if there was like a little a, a triangle on our head that we only we could see, <laughs> you would have you'd be so surprised at the people we walk next to. Oh yeah, that we have good vibes there in recovery a lot of times. And, and, and you know, it's only ten. They say ten percent of the world is addicted, but that percentage of us that are working our recovery make a huge difference in this world and we impact the other nine the other percentage of people that are addicts actively in hurting other people i call those of us in recovery sober superheroes and i think it really is a superpower because we've been through hell and back and the one thing that is a common through line from everyone in recovery that i've talked to on the show or outside of the show is we're dedicated to helping others get to where we are Yes. And we've been there, we've seen it all, we've done it all. So not many things sh- shock or surprise us. Yeah. And, and I think once people realize that are on the addiction side or the darkness side of, of it, 
they realize that first step is a bitch. I'm not going to lie. It's hard. I mean, something, a lot of times it is rock bottom. It doesn't have to be, but a lot of times it is. And I think that once they realize that there are people that are here to help me, that they don't judge me, like you said, the, the positive energy of it is amazing. And and I feel bad. And I say this almost every episode, (laughs) I started the show to give back, to help others, to help them understand that there are people just like them, no matter how bad it is. And it doesn't have to necessarily be drugs and alcohol. It could be whatever their addictions are. And yep. then I did it to help give back. And, but I get more out of the show and I feel guilty about that sometimes, but <laughs> I really do because I feel yes. like I help so many people and I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you make a difference. And I love your story about near death. The people, even not addicts that have had near death experiences yeah. change their focus in their world. And once you meet people that have had near death experiences, you have a such a warmer feeling about them. I mean, they just have a, a more sense of humility, a more sense of gratitude. And so your service work of doing these podcasts shows that. I mean, I, I got sober at 19 and I didn't plan to get into the addiction field, but it just, I kind of got led to it. And it, mm-hmm. it, it became a beautiful experience for me to fulfill myself because I knew I was contributing to society. We are a part of society that a lot of people don't want to deal with. And so we, as recovering people, have an, I feel like an, or at least for me, an obligation, I'll speak for me, certainly an obligation to be that example that yes, addiction is not just death. It's not just being a a burden on society, that we are very productive. I love your superheroes analogy because where some people can't get to people, we can. And it's basically because we share that we've been in the same place. There are a lot of parents that I deal with or people that are afraid to, oh, it won't work. I'm like, yeah, it may not work on a one-to-one with a therapist or a psychiatrist, but once they're in that group environment with other people, that positive peer pressure, it helps them to break down those walls because yes, on a one-to-one, they can con they can manipulate, right. they can stay in that old behavior and then they'll come and blame you and, you know, you know, angry and all these things that family members and loved ones are afraid of, right? Because the addict wants to keep everybody away from them. Yeah. But when they're in a room with 10 others, just like them, there's not a lot of uniqueness about us. We do things compulsively that yeah. harm us. <laughs> yeah. And we're chasing a high to make us feel better that we can't obtain and so the harm keeps getting created and then because of our own harm we spread it around because we don't want to keep it just ourselves and we we spread it to other people and those are the ones i really feel for because at least we have something that's intoxicating us to try to numb us from what we're doing once we get around people that are like us and if they're positive and they work in recovery it's like they like they say it's a program of attraction, not promotion. We don't need to promote it. It's yeah. it's seeing other people who are like me that are further along. And if I could humble myself and say, look, I want to learn from these guys. Great. And if the guys who get better don't understand that they have to stay around to help others, then what happens is they eventually will create more problems for themselves. And they're like, God, why did I get away from the program? Why did I quit doing what I'm doing. I got too pulled to the material world. Yeah. I got too pulled to these other areas and I didn't, 
I didn't stay focused where I needed to be. And then they hopefully make it back. But we, we lose a lot of people uh, in addiction once they get in the recovery world because they don't fully surrender. And yeah. because I think sometimes they were beaten down old school and they didn't want to surrender. That's why I think positive recovery is a new way to, to show that, you know, I think people get help either because they feel the heat and they, or they see the light. For me, I felt the heat, but then eventually I saw the light and that's what turned my life around. It's a great way to put it. Um, I think that one thing you you mentioned that it's interesting to me is comparison does kill joy. I, I think that a lot of people, and I, I used to be before before getting sober when I was addicted, I lived my life comparing myself to everything and everybody uh, and thought, if I only had that, I'd be happy. When mm -hmm. I get that, I'll be happy. Or mm -hmm. how do they get that and I don't? Damn them. They must, who knows? They, their parents this, or they did that, some <laughs> bullshit. It was always bullshit. That's it. <laughs> and then when I realized and got through recovery that my life is my own and yeah. I'm happy in my own skin finally, but it yeah. takes, you have to kind of shake. I had to shake myself loose and say, Hey, like take it easy. easy. Like dude. And at the end of the day, if I had all the money in the world, I would do what I'm doing right now. Anyway, yeah. I would do this podcast. I read yeah. fantasy books. I play Dungeons yeah. and Dragons. I geek nice. out with my kids on gummy bears and, and <laughs> great shows and movies and stuff. Yeah, and none of that would change. None. Yes. Of, I wouldn't even, my wife laughs because yeah. if we did just by way of conversation, if we did win the lotto or yeah. whatever, the lottery, I would still drive my Kia. I don't like yeah. sports cars and Lamborghinis <laughs> and shit like that. So when I realized that I was trying to keep up with the Joneses, but did not have any idea why, yeah. It, I got to put all that baggage down, which was part of the recovery process because yeah. I, I did have to surrender because I kicked my own ass for a long time and created and burned a lot of relationships and effed up a lot of jobs yes. because of all of that anger and how dare you, I know more than you, you don't tell me anything, I've got this kind of crap. And then on the positive side, when I put that down and opened myself up to receiving other people's intelligence for lack of a better way to put it, but their offer to help yeah. Whether it be creatively, artistically, from a professional perspective, whatever it was, and yeah. just receive it and enjoy the fact that they're trying to help. Yeah. It changed everything. It really did. Yeah. And then everything became very positive. Um, but it, take, it took practice because I had to learn to keep my guard not only down, but at bay. It's yeah. a big deal. Yeah, it's really cool. So with positive recovery centers, perhaps you could talk a bit about what what was your motivation to begin? I know that you said you, you, you changed the dynamic, but to open up your first positive recovery center is something I'd love to learn about. Like what, what yeah. drove you to do that? Well, I'll tell you the whole story. Uh, um, so basically in 2010, it goes back to 2010, I think it was when it happened or 2011, somewhere at that time, I had a re rehab facilities company called the right step. And every year we'd have all the employees read a book, right? And so it's Who Moved My Cheese? And yeah. I can't think of some of these books that I had them read. But this particular year, um, I picked up this book at the airport. I was going on a vacation. It was called Delivering Happiness. And what brings it back to me is that the guy who wrote it, unfortunately, passed away recently, Tony Shea. He was the guy who basically the, the brains behind Zappos and a true brilliant man about culture really was. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so unfortunately he, you know, took it maybe too far and they had some issues with fire and, and he got trapped in a, in a um, garage or something and, and died poor guy. And, but he, he was such a, a leader in understanding culture and understanding happiness and 
it was more from a business perspective that I really enjoyed, but I liked what he was creating. So we mimicked uh, some of the things he was doing and created our own core values and, and, and things like that at the right step. Well, every employee had to read the book. And one of them guys was our medical director who was already an MD, right? And he, and then the book, there's talks about positive psychology. Uh, there's a doctor at University of Penn that created a master's program. And Dr. Powers actually said, I want to go to that program. So even though he was an MD, he went and get his uh, master's degree in positive psychology. Hmm. And we sold the right step in 2012. And then once I had a non-compete, once the non-compete was over, I wanted to recreate that and use that name and that curriculum that he was working on. He was writing his positive recovery workbook while he was in the school. I mean, he was, he was, you know, he was in, in, into this. And so he was creating this curriculum and we were working on it. And so when it's come, came time for a new name, I like one, I want the name and I want the curriculum. So I called him and I said, listen, I'm creating another rehab program (laughs) and I want to, I want to buy your name and your curriculum and I want you to come to work with me. And so (laughs) that was the the origin of it. His name's Jason Powers. He's an amazing doctor. And uh, he, I went to his graduation university of Penn. It was one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life to see him walk the stage. And so that book turned into so many changes that we made in a business. And then, changes for him and then now is really the the bloodline of our company my favorite part of the story is you you not only decided to make the change you lived the change you pursued it um in much like recovery it's one step at a time and and i love that you decided that i'm gonna flip the script on what is deemed as normal recovery processes and yeah. do the, the the positive psychology because i have to tell you i mean who doesn't love reading positive quotes to make you feel good or give you yeah. Uh, to keep you focused or determined or motivated. I love it. I'm a very big part of what I do every day on the sobriety side. I go and take quotes from other guests from their episodes. And that's largely my Instagram posts. Yeah. And I put, I put it out there because it's, you know, love, hope, and strength from people just like us yeah. that, that have fought the fight and won. And I yeah. think the positive side is so critically important and the other side of it too, I think that it lends itself very well to building the dynamic in, internally for each addict. Because a big thing, we're defensive and we assume that we have to hustle people or bullshit mm-hmm. people or lie. And the, you know, the jagged edges are those lies. I mean, that's where people usually lose some control because you forget what lie you told and to <laughs> whom and why. And all of a sudden you're up to your eyeballs in it and you know, like tantalus and you can't get out. <laughs> exactly. So it's, it's crazy, but I, we got connected on LinkedIn and I'm always love meeting folks that are on this side of the fence in terms of recovery and having been recovered. You mentioned that you at 19 recovered. So could you tell us a little bit about it? Just as we kind of wrap up our session, just a little bit about what your recovery was like, if you don't mind. Yeah, I'd be glad to. So basically um, I'm from a small town in South Louisiana and now I live in Houston, which is what, third or fourth. I think we're trying to pass you guys in, in Chicago for a number of people to right. move to third largest. But, and I feel like it's a small town because of recovery that I surround myself with. But I uh, lived in a small town and I got hooked up with drugs and alcohol. And I, I lost my father when I was 12. And 
unresolved grief and, you know, all the issues. But once that uh, compulsiveness, my grandfather owned a bar called the Infernal Room, which eventually burned up. <laughs> that shows you <laughs> That's what, poetic justice. Yeah. yeah, it shows you where I'm from. So basically, I got heavily into drugs and alcohol. And the blessing was because I was my mom was not I didn't even have a high school education when my dad died and had to get a GED. And so we had no money, basically. And so I was entrepreneurial and I started selling drugs. And luckily, I wasn't very good at it. And I sold to this undercover agent and uh, happened to be, you know, you know, I in that lifestyle, you never can trust anybody. And the guy was kind of like, my bodyguard was like, I want you to meet somebody from college, he wants to you know, buy some cocaine. And so I sold it to him and it was the best thing that ever happened to me, even though I thought it was the worst at the time. And when I was, my lawyer, thank God said, Hey, you know, we looked into the case. The best thing you can do is go get help. You obviously need help. And there's a facility in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And that was October 12th, 1981. I walked in those doors at age 19 physically and probably 13 or 12 emotionally. Yeah. And, you know, I did uh, 30, 40 something, 45 days of treatment. I went to sober living for six months during my sober, during my treatment, actually, I actually had to go to court. And this was the best story because I went into court in the morning. It was full of activity. One guy got sentenced to 90 meetings in 90 days and he was Cajun. So he was like, oh, I don't want to go to them damn meetings, you know. <laughs> <laughs> And then we had lunch and then lunch. And then when we got back into the court, this was a day before Thanksgiving, 1981. Day before, we got back in the court and there was no one in the court. The only case left was mine. And back oh. in 81, distribution of cocaine was pretty serious. Yeah, definitely. And so they got me into a room and tried to scare me and said, hey, if you help us, we'll help your case. And I'm like, sure, I'll help you. But that night I went back to the rehab center and that Thanksgiving, the next day, my counselor happened to be working, thank God. And she just talked me into, you don't need to help them. You need to help yourself. And then I went to sober living. I did a little bit of jail time in like a Mayberry RFD jail. I got out. I ended up working as the, at the sober living as a tech from 10 o'clock to eight o'clock in the morning when the, most of the clients were sleeping and on weekends and then went on to get my, uh, licensed to become a drug and trained to become a drug and alcohol counselor. And then I like the business side of it. Cause I think that there are good people that are good helpers, but not good at business. And there are good business people that don't know how to help. Yeah. And it, it takes a balance. And that's why some treatment centers do really well and some fold because they don't have that balance of both. And I've always tried to have the good balance of good business principles, reasonable cost and good solid treatment. And we've been successful with the first company, like I said, that I sold in 2012. And then we started this company um, two or three years ago and, and really having fun building it back up. And a lot of the people that worked with us for years and years have come to the new company. And, great. and the, some of the facilities that we had in the past, we've gotten back because I was the landlord. <laughs> And so we were <laughs> that helps. <laughs> yeah. MBA screwed up the company I sold. So I'm getting them back piece by piece. Really wonderful story because you lived it and yeah. you've turned that experience not only into something positive, but something that is everlasting yeah. in, because you could help so many people. And I think the positive dominoes start to fall. Mr. Joseph, how many locations do you have so far? 
We're, uh, I think, at 12 locations. 12 locations. That is Austin's, so impressive. Yeah, yeah Austin, San Antonio, Houston, uh, all around Houston, um, San Marcos, which is in between Austin and San Antonio. So, yeah, it's been it's been fun. And a lot of same old people have come back and some of the same offices. We have three inpatient programs where they spend a night and then we have uh, the rest are intensive outpatient where they yeah. can go three or four or five times a week. Um, a lot of that right now, unfortunately, with COVID, they're on Zoom. Yeah. Um, but um, it's uh, it's been very rewarding. And and we try to work with the insurance companies. We don't try to be adversarial. We try to educate them yeah. on what approve that they do need to provide care. That you know we want them to. We're not going to gouge them. We want them to provide care because for every person they get sober, that's one could be potentially one less liver transplant. It could be one less person ended up in the ER. So no I try, I try to really teach the insurance companies, this is wise. Don't try to cut the number of days. The longer they in treatment, the better chances of recovery. And, uh, and I think we made some impact that the 20, 30 years of relationships make a difference. Oh, all the difference in the world. I mean, it's, I think that if it's not adversarial and you're working towards a common goal, even if you don't agree per se on process, you yeah. can get there. You can figure yes. it out together. Right? Yeah. I, and I love how you said that. And so how would listeners find you? What's the best way for them to reach you, maybe get a hold of you directly or at Positive Recovery Centers to um, maybe find a seat if they need one? Yeah, it's, it's uh, positiverecovery.com. And the phone number is, oh man, I should know this by heart. I think it's it's uh, some kind of uh, acronym, but I'm not sure what it's. <laughs> what it's yeah, it's one eight hundred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it is one eight seven eight seven seven four seven six two seven four three is the phone number. Perfect, and they, and, and they can get me if they need me, and or they can email me at ceo at georgejoseph.com. That's perfect. And I'll have all of these in the show notes so people could easily nice. find you. And yes. I'm assuming that uh, anything that they might need, they can find on the website in terms of information about how to get in touch or how to take the first step. Yeah, absolutely. We, we want them to get help. And if it's we're not the right place, we'll definitely try to help them get somewhere where they need to get. Thank you it, so much. It's like a hot potato way I say it. If you don't respond right away, it, it, the person can change their mind. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's usually for me anyway, it was when my, my bag of cocaine was running low and I was, my bottle of whiskey was empty and my beer was gone. <laughs> cigarettes are gone. And I'm like, I think well, I need help. And then yeah. the next day I'd be like, no, nah, I think I need more cocaine. And so there's a gap in there. You got to capitalize on. So it's is a good way to put it. It's good. Small window. Well, well, I really appreciate all you're doing and getting the message out. And that's the beauty about podcasts is that it's starting to really get the word out that people can you know, understand there's a new way. It's another way to live. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing your story yeah. and telling us all about positive recovery centers. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. Great job. Thank you.